Sabrina Johnson. Welcome to Listen Up, Listen In, conversations with uplifters, igniters, healers, and joy makers. In May 2022, I graduated from Claremont School of Theology with a Master of Divinity. And just as when I first started this graduate program in 2018, I had no idea what I was going to do with my degree. So I looked around me at people who I saw were ministering to the world in ways that uplifted me, ignited me with their passion for serving, inspired me to join in the healing, and gave me joy as I witnessed and experienced the bodacious love they lavished upon the world around them. I wanted to ask them about their path, their mission, their passion to serve and better the world. I imagined this would take place in the way of informational interviews, over cups of coffee or tea. But there were so many people I wanted to interview with so many questions, and all but a few were local to where I live in Prescott, Arizona, having recently moved from Los Angeles a year ago. It was from this desire that Listen Up, Listen In came to be. I believe we each have our own unique, divinely given gifts and talents that we can share with others to uplift, ignite, heal and give joy. And so the list is endless of guests that I want to interview. My hope is that as we all listen up to hear what they say, we also listen in to hear what our own heart tells us, guides us, moves us to do as we come together to realize the truth that we are all interdependent and interconnected by a higher good that loves us into being our best for ourselves and others. Thank you for joining me in this conversation as we listen up, listen in with open minds and open hearts. I felt particularly moved by my conversation with Meg Zucker, author of Born Extraordinary, in which she offers parents of children who are different specific ways they can empower their children. The aim is to foster self-confidence so that they can help create connections of empathy with the understanding that we all have our own differences, whether visible or invisible. Meg learned how to do this, not just from her own experience parenting her three children, two of which were born with a genetic condition called ectrodactyly, but also from her own parents, for Meg was born with this as well. Earlier this year, Meg wrote an op-ed piece for the LA Times entitled, How Should You Offer Help to Someone You Perceive as Disabled? This essay was what first brought my attention to Meg and her book. The title, Born Extraordinary, seems to me to be applicable to everyone, not just those who are physically different. Meg explains that she prefers to say someone is different rather than disabled. In her op-ed, Meg writes, I have one finger on each hand, shortened forearms, and one toe on each tiny stump of a foot. Our sons, Ethan and Charlie, but not their sister, Savannah, inherited their own version of it. Together, the three of us have a total of 18 digits. Go figure. 
Alas, however, there was a glitch in the recording, so that the sound on my end is scratchy at best and unintelligible for the most part. Even my amazing tech guru could not do much to remedy this. So that said, I'm still putting this recording up on all platforms because I feel it's too important not to. But here are a few notes that might help you understand the context of our conversation a bit more, although you can clearly hear and understand Meg, who is most articulate. First of all, I refer to Meg's parents throughout our conversation because of how they let her learn to exercise her independent spirit so as to empower her. Meg knows firsthand as a parent how challenging this can be and talks about it, such as wanting to open water bottles and chip bags for her children so they don't have to. Secondly, Meg shares of how important her siblings were, each in their own unique roles. Her little brother would ask why she only had one finger because he was genuinely curious. And this helped her understand that when others asked such questions, it wasn't out of malice. So she learned to not only be prepared, but also confident when faced with such questions and to be open to conversations about differences of all kinds. Her older brother was the one who was at her side to cheer her, support her, coach her to do all that was possible, such as riding a bike and tapping into her superpower, which we discuss. And third, in our conversations, there are exchanges where I share with Meg my takeaways from her story that I relate to. One is when Meg, a fashionista at heart, shares about having to wear ugly orthopedic shoes and how her brother coached her to kick the soccer ball with all her might because he knew that the metal plates at the tips of her shoes would make her kick all the stronger. And then she became a star soccer player. She calls it her superpower. How I relate to it was that she was all the more powerful because others didn't expect it from her. They underestimated her by her appearance. I share with her how I know being a fat woman at times, some people project their own fears and prejudices on me and thereby underestimate me as well. And that is my superpower. And although Meg didn't talk about it during the conversation, I brought up one story she shares in her book about how when she was a little girl, maybe four or so, maybe five, her family lived in Israel and their neighbor was Golda Meir. It wasn't just that Golda Meir was a neighbor that awed me, but it was what Golda told her, that she is perfect just as she is. And that is the biggest takeaway I get from Meg's book, that we are all born perfectly extraordinary. And now we get to listen up and listen in and be extraordinary. So I am so pleased that Meg is here. She is born extraordinary and shares how she teaches this to her children and 
really teaches it to everybody. I don't think it's just for people who are different with disabilities. I think it's for everybody. And that's the reason she is here as a guest. So welcome, Meg. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm, I'm glad you sort of tapped into that. I think a lot of people jump to the conclusion that Born Extraordinary is only for parents with children with differences in disabilities. But there's, there's no question, and I think the Library Journal's review and their verdict really summed it up when, the, when they wrote, you know, this is an essential read for all parents. And, and I'm very proud of that for sure. So it's a pleasure to be here. Yes. So I heard you with your LA opinion uh, article, uh, in the Times, you had an op-ed article. And uh, what, what, can you share the title of what's about? And also what you, uh, I, there's multi lab descriptions of many differences in your book. And I have trouble with just one syllable. So maybe you could describe a little bit more. Oh, about my, I'm just trying yeah. to standard, the title of my, my piece in the LA Times, you said? Yes. And about, and about my, yes. Yeah, sure. So my piece um, in the LA Times was uh, how you should offer help to someone you perceive as disabled. Uh, and the, uh, the focus was really on uh, the fact that Yes, I uh, I am born with a genetic condition called ectrodactyly. Um, it left me with one finger on each hand, uh, shortened forearms, and one toe on each foot. And my foot doesn't look like anybody else's foot, so can't even describe what that means. But <laughs> um, but I, in fact, my difference started with me. My parents and brothers didn't have this. None of my relatives um, until uh, my children, and so it didn't end with me. So I passed along um, having ectrodactyly to our son, Ethan, and then later Charlie, but not our daughter, Savannah. So the um, the Times article, you know, I wrote it. It's interesting. I If if you've read, I know you have, Sabrina, thank you for reading. Um, there's a chapter, um, it's called The Helping Hand. It's chapter mm -hmm. four. Mm -hmm. And it really intentionally wanted to capture the experience of being so blatantly different and how people with the best of intentions really rush to the rescue um, and how it feels and how it really sort of, you know, interferes with someone's sense of self and pride. And then, you know, I wanted to write this article both to help people understand how I uh, achieved um, moving through that resentment and ultimately, and I, I think I liken myself to a, a you know, a pregnant <laughs> in the article. Um, but it was also, you know, I, I just as much wanted to um, reach people who are not necessarily um, living in my shoes, but yet they're encountering people that are different. They think that, you know, being kind is helping them, you know, helping someone and rushing for the save and all that kind of stuff. And so I really wanted through that to educate people that, you know, there's, there's some learning for us all in this space. And and so the chapter four, uh, I loved, I personally love that chapter. I feel like, what's your favorite? I'm like, well, that's really hard, but I really like chapter four because it really, I think, reveals how humiliating it can feel um, to have people try and help you. And I, I went from, you know, descriptions from when I was a little girl into, you know, current times of yes. all people trying to help me in different ways. But 
you know, if it, if I left them with the thought, maybe I should just take a breath, you know, instead of doing that, maybe I can see, you know, is someone independently doing something? Maybe it's taking them a little bit more time, um, but maybe they're just doing their, you know, own version of normal, capable of living, you know, and fulfilling anything and everything within their means. Um, maybe I should let them do that versus, you know, in that breath, if someone, I'll just speak for myself, even Sabrina, like if I need help, I really need help. Um, that's hard for me to swallow. But if I do, I'll start to look around, you know, I, you can kind of take the cue that that is something that someone is sort of open to, you know, having and experiencing. So, you know, that's, that's really what the LA Times article is about. And I guess it reveals a little bit more about me and my story too. Well, it does. It does. And um, I have to just be honest with you and tell you, I have to read it, the sentence about letting someone help you was not just about you getting help, but in the future, someone who really does need help would be able to get help. And I have to read it because my perspective is uh, so much about perspective. So as I, I was born, not born, but when I was 10, my hips grew out of my sockets. So I had Teflon pins, I've had hip issues throughout my life. And two, oh, well, a year and a half ago, I had my left hip replaced and for complications. So I do have issues and it is about asking for help and all of that. So I understand that. So it's so interesting because um, I look at, I made, because I'm a, a trained um, counselor, I don't necessarily enjoy one-on-one. I love teaching more. I mean, I enjoyed this kind of conversation, but I don't enjoy counseling one-on-one. I've trained to that. I've trained as a great counselor and I've trained as wow. a counselor. So maybe because of that, I have been trained to not be what we call a helpful Hannah. Mm-hmm. Because helpful Hannahs interrupt the process. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, it's well, so- you're rare. You're rare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's a really interesting, uh, you know, uh, th- that's interesting that, that you have been trained. And, and to your point, um, yeah, I really had to come to that point where um, this realization that if I'm going to bite someone's heads off, then I'm actually thwarting um, the greater good. Like the person that I'm like, why? You want me to open up your one? You know, whatever the case may be. Um, the next time that person would refrain. I mean, I would refrain if, <laughs> excuse me, if I, if I, you know, bit, if I had my head, you know, bit off. Great, man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's also the, um, it is Sorry. for the greater good, but it's also for the person who is making an assumption based on how they feel. So the thing is that, uh, like, for instance, uh, I, I'm a meditation teacher, so I have meditation salons. So when we, it, for anybody, just after they've never meditated or meditated for years. And then we have sharing. And if somebody gets to keep sharing, many times the impulse is to offer them a Kleenex or a brief group. And what I ask is, please don't. If they want a Kleenex, they'll ask for it. Yeah. And 
that's the kind of thing. But it, what I do suggest in my, I hope, kind way is to make look inside and ask what is there something in that impulse that you can learn from? Yes, absolutely. And 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 look, it it's it's almost in some ways it's always sort of, uh, and I do a lot of speaking in corporate environments too, right? Because I I'm. I have a professional life and do a lot of speaking, but a lot of times people will say or want me to cover, I even have something this week. Um, what do we do? If, you know, if someone's different, what do I say? How should I say it? You know, what, what should I, you know, refrain from saying or do or whatever, but it's all about what am I doing for that person? And to me, I, I always feel very strongly. It's like, well, why do you feel like you, the first move has to be about them? Why can't it just be about you? Why that can't they, you know, in other words, if someone, if you're observing that someone has some physical difference or disability and you want to sort of let them know that you want them to know they feel, you feel comfortable with it and they should feel comfortable with you. I always say, why don't you share something about yourself that's vulnerable, maybe invisible that someone can't see? You know, open up that sort of runway of discussion and let that person enter. And by the way, they might not, you know, and if they don't, that's okay. You know, but what you're doing is you're, you're really creating this, you know, I would say a trustworthy space where someone doesn't feel like, you know, imposed upon. And I think a lot of times people, you know, feel entitled, I guess, because they can see something or observe something, they feel entitled and, and even with, and absolutely with the best of intentions, uh, you're different. I'm fine with it. I want you to feel fine. So I I have some kind of, and uh, no one thinks about it this way, but I think about it this way. So therefore they feel entitled mm -hmm. to cross the line to go there to tell them that. And it's like, no, just, just, just talk about yourself and see where that goes, like I'm saying. And, and that is such a difference to say, uh, why to be, you know, on, on the person who's say, you know, to have that interaction that is a genuine, sincere interaction. It's so um, valuable. It's, you know, it's like, that's what, this is really what these conversations are about. It's about, you know, I, uh, I, I may not uh, necessarily understand or agree or anything, but I want to listen. I want to understand because then I can have that empathy. And it doesn't mean that I'm, if I have empathy, it doesn't mean I'm going to necessarily say to you, well, I'll, I'll find you a, a shoe that will make your foot look, you know, <laughs> like everybody else's, you know? It doesn't mean that. It means, it, it, it's like, um, it, it, it's a thing. And that's what I'm talking about is empathy. I, I just will share with you. Very embarrassing. I was in graduate school when I first learned, people had to learn empathy. I think I don't understand it. I really, I just, it's like, it's embarrassing. But like, that's why people act that way. And the other, so you have, your parents are like tremendous empathy. Also, I just have to put it there. I mean, I don't know, I believe four or five, seven years that bolted my parents as a, as a neighbor to tell them that they are like perfect as they are. That's pretty extraordinary already. Um, 
you know, so that was pretty extraordinary. But your parents, your and your parents, your parents uh, lived by a book that I, as a metaphysician, have learned, which is sounds maybe a little bit woo, but here I'll share it, which is um, the greatest spiritual practice is to uh, the greatest spiritual practice is to let it be. And that's yeah. what your parents have done. And that doesn't mean you just sit and do nothing. It means what is it and don't necessarily get in there and get all your little, you know, fingers in the pot and stand and fix it and then let everything out. Well, it, it's right. I mean, even my, uh, I think it was the uh, third chapter, third chapter, let go and let live. Mm -hmm. Really sums up sort of the way they raised me, which is, you know, similar to let be, but you know, it's, it really is that concept of letting go. And, and that's hard. That takes strength. That's like an active thing. I mean, I think it's harder to let go. It's weirdly easier to act on. And I wrote a lot about that concept of fear, right? Because I don't, I think, I think to let be, as you're describing it, is to decide that, you know, things that bubble up as fear, or anxiety, or anything like that, um, are it, it, you're going to allow them to diminish and you're going to be able to just sort of embrace yes. that strength and that, that inner peace, I guess, is the best yes. way to So, yeah, they really did. Um, you know, I, I think I likened it to, uh, you know, it's uh, like a boxing ring where, you know, they're in the sidelines and, you know, I'm in the middle and they're, I'm going to go back and I'm going to get some water from them or whatever the case I need, you know, or to all of you know, symbolically, but, but, but that is what they were able to do. Cause so many parents want to go in and fight that fight and get in the middle of the ring with their kids. Um, and my parents somehow intuitively realized that that would be incredibly damaging for me and my ultimate growth. Um, and so, and then I, you know, had, uh, we had three children two who were born like me. And I wish I could say that I, perfectly emulated and, and followed everything they did. But you I you saw in the book, I mean, I, I talk about my mistakes. I mean, there's things that I couldn't fathom. I mean, even, you know, the the story of for Ethan, I'd always pre-open his water bottles. Yes. Fathom. And, 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 and open chips. Absolutely. Because <laughs> I, I just didn't want, I just didn't want them to feel humiliated at school. The problem is that meant they didn't know that they could open them themselves. And as Ethan wrote, so Ethan became, you know, national speech and debate champion. And he, he, he said in, in one of his original oratories, it took a, you know, near hydration, about a near hydration on a, a long bike ride. He's like, wait, I got to open this thing by myself. Well, gosh, I did so much damage. I, you know, you talk about my parents and I wish I could say I did everything I should have. But, um, you know, that said, you know, I definitely wrote Born Extraordinary because I felt like the world that were, you know, people that are interested in reading this book um, certainly could benefit from the way they raised me. Um, I also think a lot of people can benefit, uh, and, and you were alluding to this before and we were talking about it, but, you know, I think so many people, even if 
you you know, you don't have a child who's different, disabled, whatever label you want. And we talk about labels in the book. I do that on purpose. But um, but your child's going to encounter a kid that they perceive as different. And Always. yeah. And so to me, this book is intentionally trying to reach that, those people as well and have them gain the insight so that they understand what that other child is kind of experiencing and feeling and so forth. And so that, you know, they can help um, raise them. And, and you know, my article in Parents Magazine um, that it was years ago, but it, gosh, they were, they cho- chose the title. I didn't, I hated the title. It was called It's Okay to Stare. I was so happy they were published. Yeah. Yeah. Not okay to stare. Yeah. I, I, they, but I was so grateful they were publishing me. I'm like, okay, whatever the title is, I got smarter. You know? <laughs> so, so got smarter on that one. But <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because that, that is similar to, it was all about how people whisk away their children when they are, and it could be someone, you know, mommy, did you see that lady? She's so fat. Like it doesn't have to be disability. It can be just exactly what reacting to. And I've always said, well, that lady knows she's heavy. I know I have one finger. Like you're not telling me. And and by whisking these kids away, you're you're missing a huge opportunity for natural curiosity to just play out in the way it should play out. So yes. that that to me is so important. So many of the reasons that I do hope this book is is just you know absolutely for parents, you know, wanting to empower their children. Um, But quite frankly, any parent that wants to give that special sort of understanding and insight and empathy to their child as well, that isn't. I I think it's for all parents. I think it's for all people. Because I think it's like the idea of a parent uh, wanting to do everything. I felt parents that want to do everything for their child has no my observation and judgment has no unseen or seen difference <laughs> but they still want to do everything it's like you know I, so i i know helicopter parents but the thing is that they care and as far as how you raise your children i think a lot of it too is um when you talked about the other problems it really made me think about you are like that's just i'm the what say that again independent independent that's who you are seems like in the book seems like you have dependent spirit definitely it doesn't matter your differences you are independent and so that independence i think you you might be that way no matter what i mean do you know what i'm saying just because you are independent well you know i have to say you're absolutely right but i do think that when you're incredibly young um, you know, we take our cues from our parents. So I think as fiercely independent it, I am in my nature, I think if my parents would have raised me in fear, um, you know, and given me the cue that I can only, I'm as, I'm as along the way is, you know, it's got to be, uh, you know, they're their opportunity to explore not what's in your imagination but what's in or realist realistic possibility but what's in theirs exactly exactly and that might change and they might evolve and you've got to evolve with them and so forth so um yeah i just you know and i guess we haven't talked about the sibling chapter or the family chapter but it's, it's gonna bring that up that I, was, I, 
I wish you would, do you mind sharing? Is it two things? It's the sibling chapter, but also the creativity. So your parents, you obviously have to read a family. So would you want to share your story? I played it to this because I'm going to say that I make a joke of it. It's very true. I say my superpower is that not only am I a fat woman, but I'm a fat woman who is educated things. So <laughs> no, like, so that so would you share your superpowers that you learned with your shoes and your brother? Oh, my superpower with my shoes. That's funny. Um, so, so what happened? Just so people understand and appreciate, um, I wasn't wearing shoes. I mean, no shoes really fit me really wonderfully. And so finally, I was riding um, a bicycle on. And and I know many people you can't fathom someone with one finger or whatever riding a bike. But I I love to ride bikes. I ride hundreds of miles actually on bikes. And so. But as a kid, I loved it, but my shoe was too, really too big for my foot. And so it flit, it fell off while I'm riding. And I almost, it was, it was a near accident. And my brother, Peter, he got home and he was really scared. And after, after that happened, um, I guess I was scared too. But after that happened, um, my dad decided that we were going to go to Vincennes, Vincennes, Indiana, and I was going to have these, um, special tissues made. I mean, I guess orthopedic shoes, essentially. So I had never had anything like that. They took a mold of my foot. My foot, like I said at the beginning, is nothing like anybody's foot. If anything, it looks like it's almost round shape with a toe on it. And so so when the shoes came, I just could not, I didn't want to wear it. They were just the epitome of hideous. And I'm, um, I guess I have always been kind of a fashionista. Mm-hmm. Like, and so to me, the thought of wearing these horrible, ugly shoes and my mom was like, but the wine, you know, the brown, they were brown and wine. She's like, well, you can wear the wine ones for your, that's fun. They'll be really, you don't fall and you're just, like, oh. but you're asking me about a superpower and I'm resting way too much. So, so I love it. He, my older brother, Peter said to my parents, does she have to wear them? And he had overheard that there were for protecting my foot there was like a steel plate in the in the front of the shoe and um so he realized that the way for me to rather than just sort of let me wallow in my pity he decided to help me uh really just go head on like let me embrace these things and so he said to me you know if you when you play kick soccer because the ball is rubber, you're going to be able to kick that with all your might and it's going to fly. And I said, no way, because I'm the worst player, almost the worst. He's like, I promise you, I promise you, just do it. And so I went the next day to school and in recess and that was my superpower. And like, I think I wrote like, was I cheating? Maybe. I mean, I don't know thing in my view, but, but it was, <laughs> but but I think that superpower is not only something physical, but it was something that it was emotional too. It was something that my brother gave to me in terms of being able to transform something that I loathe to something that I would see as an asset. And, you know, I wrote the chapter, What About the Siblings? I think it was, it's called What About the Families? It used to be called What About the Siblings? Because it's mm-hmm. me. Not everyone has a sibling, but I, 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 I go out of my way to say, look, a sibling could be a sibling, a brother or sister. It could be a cousin, you know, friends, kid that's the same age. So it's it's more the generic term. But, you know, 
the importance of the role of an, a child, you know, in the family or interacting with with your child who's different or disabled is enormous. And and what I tried to ex- describe was, you know, the talk about roles. I mean, my so my younger brother, his role and what he served and what will happen is a, a younger kid will just essentially um, prepare you for or your child for all the questions, everything that's going to come their way from other kids. I mean, even in, like, you know, he's my brother and we're in the car. He's like, why does Maggie have one? Fa-? I mean, like, what the heck? You're my brother. Or you said in public, he would ask those questions. Oh, he would do it everywhere. Like, yeah. He would, yeah. Like, are you serious? Like, come yeah. on. <laughs> and, and Peter, my older brother, um, played a different role, role, but it was just as empowering. It was sort of not holding me back. Always, you know, if I did, if I couldn't do something physically, like it, it, like I wanted to be a ballerina, but I just couldn't wear toe shoes and, and you know, it was just going to not happen. And he he was like, let's let's have you play trombone and let's play basketball and let's play tennis and let's go bike riding. And, you know, so the the older sibling, you know, they're not consumed like the parents are with, you know, things like, oh, my gosh, what can she do or not do? They're like, hey, let's build a fort. And so, you know, the the importance I really had never at least maybe I need to read more, but I had never read a book that really focused just the dedicated experience of siblings and how, you know, the the importance or the equivalent and how much family matters and, and also how much they also deserve to have their own unique attention because sometimes they, you know, not even sometimes, there's no question they're going to have their own sacrifices. And so, you know, those are the kind of things that I wanted parents to be cognizant of too. And and you make that it, it I love dressing siblings and or the family. I love how you did that. And the creativity of, of your of your brothers, you know, your of your family. And what I'm thinking of is, is two things, the creativity and also the idea of your younger brother asking questions. So you know that he did it without any malice. You know that. And oh. so it's just and that's the thing that I think um, when I when I think of children, they they have a, a loving heart naturally. Usually, they're raised in a loving heart. It's a loving heart. So I think with any difference, I don't care what it is. So it, I think if you ask it with that heart, that yes. So for me, it was a kind of a eye opening experience. My first day at Claremont um, School of Theology because there were natives with I buy the the and I was like, okay, so this is a trans a transgender or you know LGBTQ, and I was sometimes confused. But when we got in a small group, I'd say to somebody, "So you have two things. Which one prefer?" Yeah. And I would just ask it. And then was that if we don't really have, I think, I feel personally, if we don't really have that open part, we can get and step over ourselves. So what happened is that uh, I was talking to somebody, I said, well, I, I said, what, what do you call that? Right, that, okay, so I'll read there. It might, might is a problem, but anyway. And I said, well, why didn't you just ask? Isn't it all Google? And I was like, oh, the here is where. If we just, if, if we just really take that pause and say, why am I asking this? Is it, and if it is, is it sincerely coming from that place of love? 
that love is what I want to say is that uh, we only have a few minutes, but I really want you to share about um, when you would ask your mother, uh, like something about your fingers or something. And then she'd say, are you my girl? And if you tell that, because that's your, that's what I, I believe whatever you want to call our highest good sees us. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to share that. So, you know, it, it was a little game my mom used to come uh, play with me called my uh, called my little girl but i'm i used to do it with ethan later my little boy so i guess it could be called whatever you want it to be called but um intuitively like i said before uh, my parents really understood the you know fundamental need that i had to feel proud of my physical self and you know, I had, you know, been, of course, living my life in a fishbowl where everyone's staring at me all the time. Um, and, you know, that that is why there's a chapter, you know, you know, building their dignity. Right. And that I think that's in the chapter of building your dignity, which which is, you know, various different things that my parents did. But in this particular game, when I was a really little girl, I was probably three or four or something. I forgot what I wrote, but whatever I wrote, I guess is what it was. <laughs> um you know, she would turn to me. It was my favorite game. She's like, you know, oh, you must not be my little girl. And I'm, I'm like, why? And she's like, well, my little girl has big brown eyes. I'm like, I have little, I have big brown eyes, mommy. And she'd go, well, you can't be my little girl because my little girl has, you know, long, dark hair, you know, and mommy, mommy, I have long, dark hair. It's me. It's me. And, you know, well, it couldn't, my little girl has the most beautiful smile. You know, I smile a lot, mommy, you know, that kind of thing. And then she's like, well, I don't think so because, you know, you can't be my little girl because my little girl has one finger on each hand. And and I, you know, would just, bur I guess, burst with uh, just so much joy. Like, I have one finger, mommy, on each hand, and we would embrace and it was a, you know, absolutely beautiful game, I guess, is what she would do. But it was just planting the seeds of uh, a road that she was going to help me take towards unconditional love. And so, you know, and that um, I would be committed to applying to all three of my children, not just not just the boys, but so, you know, we used to play. Um, my little girl with Savannah and it would be about her being adopted, you know, and uh, like, you, yes. you must not be my little girl. Be I mean, this is not in the book, but, you know, I would say that to her because and she's like, yes, no, it's me. And I said, no, because my little girl was, you know, was born in Southern California and, and, and adopted by us. And, you know, she's like, I was born in South California. <laughs> Um, that in so many different ways it doesn't have to be about a physical difference or disability yeah and i love i talked about savannah i loved it she wrote that beautiful article about um can you share that with another beautiful article that allergy and um i'm trying to remember which article that you're talking about so she wrote it was something for the school paper about how brother oh Oh, I think she wasn't in an article. I think she was speaking with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, she said, Mom, I covered this. Or I, I, I yeah. That was crazy. Like, she was seven or eight years old. And I took her to, because I speak at schools for my nonprofit, Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, for years. And 
Savannah, all three of them have come at different times to speak in front of kids. And, um, but she, you know, someone asked about, you know, Storm, it must be so hard for you, you know, Mrs. Zucker and your sons. And she looked at me, she's like, mom, I got this. And she grabs the microphone out of, you know, my hand and starts, starts to talk. She's like, look, you know, don't, don't jump to the conclusion. You know what's hard for someone. She, and, and she's like, what's really hard for my family is more about my nut allergy and about the fact that I've been in the hospital, you know, numerous times. That that's what scares my mommy and what she's worried about, you know, and she's right. And so that perspective was just amazing. Amazing. I just love that. I, I love so much about this book. And then, oh, do you want to share about, uh, about Flaunted before we close? And you have a follow-up from your book. Oh, yeah, sure. So Don't Head Up Flaunted, 501c3 um, nonprofit that I started over a decade ago. Actually, Ethan was bullied on the playground um, for being physically different, which prompted me to start um, piloting the programming that ended up turning into a national program. In fact, we've just gotten funding. We're extending it to the military and to, you know, tons of um, families and caregivers. And and I'm so excited, like millions of um, deserving, deserving people in, you know, uh, connected with the NRD and like VA I'm and Hidden Helpers, which is the, tied to the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. So I'm really excited about the military support we're going to be giving too. Um, but uh, Don't Head a Flunted has really evolved. It started out um, based on something pretty difficult, like a bullying incident. And then um, I'm not happy that it happened, but because that happened, um, actually our my last chapter that I wrote is is taking the bully by the horns. Um, so it really talks about um, you know something that we talk we focus on with Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, which is kids that are different or disabled. You know, they kindness is not enough. You know, they have these kindness campaigns, and you know, be kind, choose kindness. It's like actually that's not a bad goal, but that's not what they need. They need a friend. You know, you know, Jacob needs someone to be invited, you know, inviting to his birthday party. He doesn't want, he doesn't just need someone to say, hi, Jacob, in the hallway. You know, that's what kind is, maybe. So, um, yeah, don't have it flunted. I'm very, very proud and grateful that I've had the opportunity to, you know, run this for over 10 years. And and actually, we didn't even talk about it, but it it was very much a reason I've known so many I've been introduced to so many people in this space and they, gosh, we have at least 30, at least 30 parents and contributor, contributing people to this, not just my story in Born Extraordinary. And that's, yep. yeah, yeah. That, you know, um, thanks to, thanks to uh, Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, that I met them. So I think you want me to read. Yes. Yeah, so do you, do you, I was just wondering on a personal level, do you think that with this book, your experience, you're open this, don't try to flaunt it, everything. Do you feel now you have that sense of belonging? Yeah, I mean, uh, do I feel like I have a sense yes. of belonging? Yeah, because you talked a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I used to really focus on, you know, gosh, when I was a kid, like, is anyone different like me? Does anyone, you know, I couldn't plunk it into the internet. I have one figure, do you? Kind of deal. Um, the reason I feel so strongly about the sense of belonging is because, you know, I, and, and through Don't Hide It, Flaunted's work, um, which, you know, you can go to 
don'thideatflaunted.org or at justflaunted underscored and, and IG, people can see that. But at the end of the day, it's really about, you know, we don't all share the same difference, but we can all feel, you know, the same way based on our experience, you know, you know, unique, unique qualities. And, and once you tie people and connect people that way, um, then we belong. And that's what it, that's really what it's about. So that's, that's what it's about. It's about being and community is powerful and unconditional love and all this. So thank you for sharing. This is totally structural. Would you actually uh, share how you got to Yes. So, so, um, when, when my, so my mother's, uh, one of her best friends, uh, named Elizabeth Klein, her married name Shapiro, um, when I was born, uh, she, as she was an author, um, and, you know, and PhD in English, I mean, she's a brilliant woman, but, she had learned the news that day that I was born unexpectedly looking so blatantly different. And what she did is she wrote this poem on that day on my birthday. Um, and as I wrote, you know, she did it because, you know, saying, is there anything I can do and things like that? I mean, those things were just meaningless. Um, but what she wanted to do and give to my parents was the biggest gift of all, which is the gift of perspective. Um, so with that, I will read We Are All Born Lacking by Elizabeth Klein. Into this world of appurtenances, you have come unequipped to walk on water, to perform the laying on of hands. In that sweet face lies all your stock. Where's to wear down neat doctrines of perfection? Alter your parents' pain. I pray while your mother doubts direction. Your father silences regret. I pray our gentle being will make hands, feet, the appendages of body no more than grace notes on a printed score. Embellishments, ornamental trills, unessential to the music's inner life, which swells and falls to the skill of the musician. May your spirit dance on invisible toes. Dear one, we are all born lacking. <sighs> Beautiful. So you can see Meg Zucker is definitely a fashionista. Go to Instagram, F-E-Z-C-K-E-R, Meg Zucker. Look her up. Go to Amazon.com. Look up Born Extraordinary. It is amazing. And MegZucker.com. You can have everything you want. <laughs> everything you want. And if you're Born Extraordinary, that's all I'm sorry? It's Born Extraordinary. No, it's, it's under MegZucker.com. Okay. And, and then you can get all the information on Born Extraordinary. Okay. So it's my author website is megzucker.com. Okay. So that's just, yeah, all things wonderfully met megzucker.com on her website and Instagram. Check her out. And thank you so much, Meg, for everything. I am just so honored and uh, blessed that we shared this time together. I am too. Thank you so much. It was a delight. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Also, please check out Meg's website at megzucker.com. That's M-E-G-Z-U-K-E-R.com for more information about Meg and her book and also her nonprofit organization called Don't Hide It, Flaunt It. 
Thank you for joining us today on Listen Up, Listen In. For more information, you can go to our website at listenuplistenin.com. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-U-P-L-I-S-T-E-N-I-N.com. And to hear past episodes, you can go to all podcast platforms such as Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple. And please tell your friends and family about Listen Up, Listen In. Until next time, thank you.